there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Folklore says that the silver bullet is effective against a werewolf, a witch, and some monsters. You've all heard this about the werewolf and the silver bullet, and I could probably rattle on too long about silver as a symbol of redemption. Judas got 30 pieces of silver for turning Jesus in. Um, there were five shekels in silver that were to be paid to redeem the firstborn in Israel of every household. If you had a lamb that was the firstborn and it was supposed to be sacrificed and you wanted to keep it, you had to pay silver to redeem the life of that lamb. So silver is that redemptive thing. So there's a lot of t- about silver that in mysticism and in esotericism that means something. And it basically stands for redemption. So I find it very interesting that to shoot a werewolf or a witch or some monsters with a silver bullet, we, the world, thinks, oh, that kills them good. But the truth is that it redeems them. So this should be interesting to you. And if it's not, then you're not with me. A modern metaphor uses silver bullet for a straightforward solution perceived to be extremely effective. Why does all this survive the ravages of time and sleep? How come after thousands of years we still have this, still aware of this, we still hear this, and it's still in our society, it's still in our race consciousness? Why is that? Because the truth behind it is eternal, because it's essential and it speaks to what is eternal and essential in us. Even if we can't hear it or understand it, it may still touch us and it still has the power to redeem us, to pull us up out of, as we said in that other podcast, out of this fiery river of negative emotions that we are being swept away in and by. Now, I would like to read to you from Revelation chapter 13, verse 2 through 4 is all we need. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to wage war with him? Do you love it or what? So who is like the beast? This power that overcomes us, this power of negative emotions, this horrible thing that we can't stand against, that overwhelms us, that throws us to the floor and makes us say these terrible things to people, makes us hate ourselves and hate other people. What is that? That's the beast. And where does it come from? Well, the dragon gives it its power. What is that all about? What is the beast? Who is the dragon? What is the silver bullet? And why am I dragging you through the rabbit hole yet one more time? <laughs> because that's my job in life. That's, that's what I do. I, I drag you through the rabbit hole. I drag you out of this world. Every time I get a chance, I drag you away from the five senses. I drag you through this little rabbit hole into this other world to have a look, hoping that you will one day of your own accord, of your own free will, start to go through that little hole yourself and enter this world and live there and start to leave this world of the five senses, start to separate yourself from that. That's why I do it. 
Now, like Hitler and his henchmen, we're all fond of the idea of a final solution. We want to make an effort that will preempt the need for any further efforts. It's part of our condition on this planet, kind of lazy ignorance in which we lull. To lull is to calm or send to sleep, typically with soothing sounds or movements, like a lullaby. So we lull about like a rudderless ship flounders, flounders to struggle or stagger helplessly or clumsily in water or mud. That's what happens to us. We are in this kind of lazy ignorance in which we lull like a rudderless ship and flounder. The beast is the false personality. The dragon is what it serves. The dragon is what gives it its power. The dragon is the negative power. It's that which gobbles up our life force. It's that which will devour all the force that it can get from us. It's that which eats us and grows. It nourishes itself. It's that which is using the beast as a grim reaper to farm us. Now, I know that this isn't exactly exactly Gurdjieff's way of saying things, but that's okay because I'm not Gurdjieff, am I? I have hair and other things. And the silver bullet, the silver bullet, thank God, is self-observation. What is it that wounds one of the heads of false personality? What is it that wounds one of the heads of your false personality? Hello? Everything. Everything wounds the head, doesn't it? Specifically, we're going to talk about criticism from another person. Oh, yes, that is a wound, isn't it? Someone else criticizes you and your head is wounded, isn't it? Because everything is false personality, we need to fuel our way back home. We can't kill it, this false personality, because it keeps coming back to life. Have you noticed that? No matter how many times you put it down, you cut this head off and another head pops up. So Greek mythology, it's a monster, a hydra with many heads. You cut off one and another head pops up. So all of these things are all connected. Can you see that? They're all connected. All these esoteric teachings, all of these guys are all talking about the same thing. It's been going on for thousands and thousands of years because it comes from the same source. It comes from the same place. There is no place else for this to come from. We call it in the work the conscious circle of humanity. Well, who's that? <laughs> well, I don't know. It's just the conscious circle of humanity, those people who woke up. Well, who woke them up? Uh, 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 uh I don't know. Well, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the source of it all, who woke them up. Your creator is who woke them up, and he sent them to wake you up. And their job now that they're awake is to wake up more people. And every time somebody wakes up, his job is to wake up more people. So your job, as you wake up, will be to wake up more people. Exactly. And you know what? The false personality wouldn't love any job more than that, would it? I mean, it's ready to start waking people up now, isn't it? <laughs> Slap them awake, pinch them awake, stab them awake, light a fire under them. We've got all kinds of ways. We could tell them the truth. Well, it's the truth, isn't it? Oh, we have all kinds. And that's the river of hate, you see, that wants to take over and do it all. But it can't be done that way. Not that way. I'm not saying people don't do it. I'm just saying that it, it won't work. Because this is self-development. So it takes a special kind of awakening. It takes a special kind of force. So, we can't kill it because it keeps coming back to life. It's why there's no final solution. There's no one shot with one silver bullet that's going to put it down. If through proper self-observation we've seen what another criticizes in us, somehow it has this power to lessen the shock. We can then survive the episode. So as you begin to look inside of yourself and see these things inside of yourself, when someone else tells you it's like, mm, yeah, well, it doesn't, well, okay, it's not like, mm, yeah, that takes a while. It's like for me now, when somebody tells me, it's like, mm, yeah, you're just noticing this? <laughs> you know? what, what, what took you so long? So it's okay. It doesn't bother me today. I don't know what it's going to be like later, but right now it doesn't bother me. So is that how we are or what? Mm -hmm. The more awake we are, the less it bothers us. The more asleep we are, of course, the more it bothers us. 
So right now, it doesn't bother me so much. I was talking to a guy in Macedonia who listens to the podcast. Uh, he's going to have to work right now because now the whole world is list- about him listening to the podcast in Macedonia. And so his little ego is going, you know, he's got the pump out, blowing air into the ego. So he's flying around the room now going, oh, now I've got to work. Now I've got to work. So he's got the work pin out and he's sticking it in the ego right now and laughing. He's laughing right now because he knows that this is his work, that this is what he has to do, that his ego will suck this up and he'll preen and strut and all the things that the false personality does. And then the work will come in and go and stick a pin in it. And that's his work. That's what he'll have to do. And uh, anyway, he was he was telling me that he was listening to the Last Fat podcast, and in the process of listening to it twice, he jumped out of his chair in anger from what he'd heard. Well, we must ordinarily be very careful not to tell another person what we really think of them, because they'll jump out of their chairs in anger, won't they? Of course, it wasn't personal for him, so he didn't have to hear me say, well, I think you're this or that. And so he didn't have to deal with that, but he had to deal with his own self-accusing, the judge in there self-accusing. And so he deals with that, or he has to deal with the negative emotions that come up from realizing that you are that man, you are that person. When that comes up, it's like, ah, (laughs) it's crazy. We're very sensitive to that sort of criticism because we value ourselves wrongly, which makes us a fiction, a fiction that is encapsulated in this imaginary I. So all of these pictures of ourselves, all of these fictions, all of these stories, all of these lies, all of these acquired things about ourselves are all in this time capsule, sealed in this time capsule that we call imaginary I. And then our name is on it. And we say, this is I. And so we say, this is I to everything that's inside of that time capsule. And the time capsule, of course, goes back 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 1,000 years, 10,000 years, a million years, 10 million years. And it's all in there. And so when we say I to any one of those things, we're saying I to all of that. And as you can tell, that's not a good thing because it keeps us stuck, keeps us going around and around and around in that time capsule. Am I making sense? Keep nodding because I need to know that I'm making sense because every once in a while I think I'm getting a little weird, a little out there. A person who's run by imaginary I can take no criticism that offends it, imaginary I, the false personality, can take no criticism. If you're run completely by imaginary eye, you can take no criticism. It becomes a beast, and it rears its head in rage in one way or another. All that is truly valuable about us lies deep beneath the surface imagination of ourselves. This surface imagination of ourselves, this thing that we call ourselves, is covering up what really is valuable and real and eternal and lasting about us. We have to pierce through that somehow in order to get to what is real about us, in order to free ourselves from this straitjacket of lies that we have been wrapped up in by life. It's like life is a spider and it's spun this cocoon around us. It's wrapped us up just like a spider wraps up a fly. It's wrapped us up so we can't move and we have very little movement. But the work comes along and it gives us just a little bit so that we can move just a little. And if we move just a little in its direction, then it will help us. It will give us strength. It will cut one of the cords or cut two of the cords. And so we can move a little bit more. And then that's how we get free. It's a slow, long process, but that's how it's supposed to work. So if you can't stand criticism, it's because you have no self-knowledge. And that's the long and the short of it. You've not applied the work to yourself. You've not observed yourself sincerely. You're asleep. That's what this work teaches. Now, of course, we say, but I'm not always that way. That's right. You're not always that way because sometimes you wake up a little, but you always go back to sleep, don't you? That's the one thing you can count on. And when you're asleep, you don't know you're asleep. It's only when you wake up that you went, oh, my God, I was asleep. 
So the object of self-observation is to make you aware of what you're really like, what you don't see and realize about yourself. The object of another person's criticism may be the same thing, but we never take it that way, or hardly ever. It takes such tremendous effort to take it that way. You've got to be in love with the person. You have to be so devoted and in love with the person and so devoted and in love with the work that you're able to take someone else's criticism as a gift. You're able to kiss them and hug them and give them everything you have and say, thank you, thank you. But that's rare. That is so rare that I rarely ever see it. But it is possible. Now, it doesn't matter that I ever see it. All that matters is that I be it. All that matters is that I be that way. My work requires me to be that way. So that if you criticize me, I must see you as my teacher. I must surrender to you and see you as my teacher. And thank you and love you for that. For giving me the greatest gift that there is. The gift of sight. The gift of being able to see myself so that I can free myself from myself and become my true self. may sound like a bunch of double talk, but it's really not. It only sounds that way to the false personality because it hates that. People rarely observe themselves. They observe Gurdjieff. They observe Ospensky. They observe Nicole. They observe this person or that person. They recite books. They weigh brains in an intellectual competition like schoolboys. That's what we call working. That's what we call church. That's what we call religion. It's all that. And we do it. We do it to ourselves and to everyone else. Self-observation is awkward because we must turn around in ourselves and face inward rather than outward toward life through the five senses. So turning away from the five senses is not easy because we're glued. We're literally glued. They have such a hold on us that getting free of them is really difficult. That was part of your question, is that in my flesh, yes, your flesh and the five senses are connected. And so when you touch the world, you are in the world and the world is in you. You are connected. You're glued. And it's just like taking crazy glue, just taking a tube of crazy glue, squirting it on your hand, taking your other hand and going, now try to get your hands apart. First of all, you can, but boy, it's going to be painful. So that's why the work says, take your time, go easy. Move a little, pull a little, move a little, pull a little, work a little, rest. You can understand why, because the pain can become so searing, so horrible, that we just never want to see it again. We never want to deal with it again. So we go slowly. That's not a bad thing. It's like buffers. If they were all pulled away instantly, you'd go insane. You saw all your contradictions right now. You'd be like, you couldn't take it. So that's why we go slow. And, and that's why we're led. See, we're led. We're guided. That's why the work takes us by the hand and it leads us. Of course, you know that when I say the work, I don't mean the fourth way. You can change the last letter in that word from K to D. <laughs> you can do it that way. You can do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. I just, I just want you to get it. I don't care how you get it. You know, the mo most important thing is you get it, that the meaning comes through and that the words are not so important. That's what's most important. That I'm not important. You can't see me as important. I'm not important. That it has to be the meaning that comes through this little hole in the universe that's sitting here, you see. It, it's like you have to just get the meaning that comes through. If any meaning comes through, you get it. You know, if no meaning comes through, I don't know what to tell you. Turn this off. <laughs> we develop an observing eye as we do this. As we face inward rather than outward toward life through the five senses, as we face inward, we start to develop an observing eye, as the work calls it, that looks inward at the kind of person we are. This can be unsavory to our self-love. Unsavory is the nicest word I could find because our self-love hates it with such a hatred, such a passionate, violent, vicious, horrible hatred that it will kill it if it can. It will attack it at every opportunity and try and destroy it. 
So we need to protect it. We need to find a safe place for this work inside of us. We need to have other eyes that love the work, that want the work, gather around it and protect it like linebackers, <laughs> you know. If someone out there criticizes us, here's what we'll do. We'll justify ourselves. That's what we'll do. We won't look inside to see what they see. We'll justify ourselves. That's what those little eyes do every time. They will come and they will justify you. They will tell you all the reasons why it's okay to be that way. Why it's really that person over there. Well, they'll tell you all that. They'll justify you. The work tells us we must not identify. We must not self-justify. But it's difficult because we're asleep most of the time. Because we don't remember the work and what we've heard. We must hear it again and again and again through spaced repetition until it reaches us. At first, the spaced repetition sounds like nagging. It sounds like criticism. It sounds like someone stabbing at us, hurting us, attacking us. But later, when the work finds a place in us and we can connect it to the criticism, stay awake, Diana, <laughs> when the work makes a connection in us and we can make a connection with the work and there's some eyes, we start making these proper connections, then the work infuses us with life and energy. It infuses us with light and love and we can start to take the criticism better. It's never going to be really that easy, but we can take it better and better all the time. And so it's why I say that the number of years that you're in the work can be meaningless if you're not in the work. You must see this for yourself. You've got to see that you yourself need to become more conscious of you yourself, how you are, what you're like. You're the only one who can do this. No one else can do this. Only you can do this. When you have observed, you begin to react differently to criticism from how you did react when you were less aware, when you were more mechanical. You notice now that people can say things to you and you just kind of smile and accept it. You don't like it. You know, it's not like, oh boy, that was fun. You just nod your head and accept it. It's not resignation because you have seen it in yourself now. It's a reminder of what's there. Because you have seen it, you're more able to accept it from outside. You will sense the truth has been spoken. When someone criticizes you, you sense the truth has been spoken. Patty and I were talking about something. We were coming back from a, a meeting. She was in the backseat of the car and I was saying some things to her and she said, she couldn't say anything right then, but later she told me, Oh, God, I wanted to tell you to shut up. Leave me alone. Get away from me. I hate you. You know? <laughs> well, we're all laughing because we all know that feeling of when I'm saying something and you're taking it as criticism. When all I'm doing is just showing you the gift. This is the gift. I'm just giving you the light. This is what you've asked for. So here it is. Like, no, get that light out of my eyes. I hate you. It hurts. Yes, the light is very stabbing when we're in darkness for a long time and a light goes on. Oh my God, it's painful. It literally hurts the brain. It goes right through the optic nerves and it hurts the brain. We sense it. We feel it as actual pain. We put our hands up. We close our eyes. If it keeps going, we'll try and make the light go out. We'll try and stop the person who's shining it. Anything to make the pain stop. So she went through that. I understand that. I understand that. We all have that. Now, as you stay more and more in the light, then, of course, you can take more and more light. As you come out of the darkness, you can take more and more light. That happens less and less. So the pain is lessened. But every new light is going to be new light. And new light means new pain. It means new joy and it means new pain. But trust me on this. My grace is sufficient for your needs. This is a promise. My grace is sufficient for your needs. With that light comes everything you need to rise above the pain, to bear it, to deal with it. When the pain is less, we stop squirming so much, we hold still better. In other words, we don't run away so much. The outer and the inner must become the same with us. Now, they are vastly different. 
But we don't know that. We think that inside and outside we are the same. We think that the only thing that doesn't come outside is what we don't let out. And that is not true. And that's why criticism from others is such a wonderful opportunity because it gives us the opportunity to see what they're seeing is inside of us. They're seeing it outside of us and we didn't know it was inside of us and we certainly don't know it's outside of us. We think it's them being critical when they're not at all. They're just telling us what they see. Now, there's some people who can tell you what they see in a very nice way and it's a little less painful. And there are some people who can tell you what they see with extreme prejudice. And that's really painful if you're identified with that person, if that person means something to you, if that person is valuable to you, if you care about what they think and they are not very loving, let's put it that way. They're not considering you. They're considering only themselves. So a person full of internal consideration, a person full of himself criticizing you can be very painful, especially if you're identified with that person. The only way out of that is to stop identifying with that person. We begin by seeing that we are made negative by certain things. We just start to see that. The work leads us in this way. We start to see that we are made negative by certain things. Certain people make us negative. You see that person coming, you hear their name, you get negative, right? Then we must see that we justify our negative state, that we look for agreement. So what happens is you hear that name or that person comes and you go, oh, I just can't stand that person. Somebody standing next to you goes, I know exactly what you mean. And now we're justified. Oh, good. Thank God. It's not just me. That person really is horrible. I thought it was just me, but it's that person because I have agreement now. Very dangerous to have agreement. Anyone would be upset by that person. Well, if anyone said that to them, of course they'd be upset. That's a horrible thing to say. Now we have agreement. Now we can justify ourselves. Now our negative emotions are all justified. Now we can hate with impunity. Now we can set ourselves on fire with impunity. As we set ourselves in fire, then we run around and everything we touch catches fire. Unless it happens to be insulated with an asbestos suit, and the asbestos suit, of course, is the work. So you come to me with your negative emotions, and everyone you've touched so far has been set on fire, and they're all, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you come to me, and I say, well, well, it's not you, it's not them. And you go, and you start to burn. And I don't burn. Well, why? Well, because I'm not identified with it. The truth is, it's in you. And what tells me that? The work. And if you'll wake up, it will tell you that, too. The tragedy of esoteric teachings is that they transmit such force that we think we got it all when we've just begun to taste it. See, once we think we've got it all, we stop looking, we stop working. To transmit such force that it's like, whoa, I see now, I understand now. And so like Jess says, well, I got to this place where, yes, I understand this and I understand that, but I realize that now I'm stuck here. Now I'm stuck at this higher level with more understanding, but the only way to get out of here is to get more understanding. Yes, that's right. That's the way it goes. You've got to get more now. That's right. And so here we are. And that's called self-development of all things. So we quit too soon. It happens with teachers who get swallowed up by teaching instead of developing. You know, teachers very easily get swallowed up by teaching. They just teach and teach and teach and they forget to develop themselves. And so what they teach is the same thing over and over and over again. Now, that's what people love. People love that. Because if I teach you the same thing over and over and over again, if I don't change, if I don't expand, if I don't teach you more, if I don't stretch you, if I don't challenge you and pull you and make you feel uncomfortable, then... What good is it? But if I pull you and stretch you and make you feel uncomfortable and shine light in your eyes and and do all these things, then you don't want to be here. Then you want to be somewhere else where you can feel comfortable with some teacher who just teaches what you already know. You all sit around and congratulate each other. And then you point out at the world at them and you go, well, look at all them. They're not here. (laughs) We're here. They're not. (laughs) And you're better and they're worse. But here, you're worse every day. You're worse every time we get together. 
<laughs> you know, every time we get together, you go, oh, my God, shut up. I hate it. Shut up because you're worse, but you're better. And that's the thing. My grace is sufficient for your needs. So, yes, yes, you're worse, but you're better. You get it? Okay, good. Love you guys. I really do. Oh, Got to stop that. There it goes. Come back, come back, come back. <sighs> We're hindered by our tiny being, our limited attitudes, what we take for granted, how we feel owed. It makes us tedious, difficult people. Nobody can speak to us. Nobody can act around us. Nobody can behave around us. Nobody can be themselves around us because we're we're difficult, tedious people with requirements. Somebody stands up and leaves the room without our permission. I've had it. That's enough. I'm out of here. Tedious, difficult, petty, small being people. We have reached the end of ourselves. And so we blow a gasket. Real connection with the work doesn't make us hard and sour, short and bitter, but it makes us soft and sweet. If your teacher isn't soft and sweet with a stick, if he's not soft and sweet with a stick in his hand, then he's not ripe yet. He's got to be soft and sweet with a stick in his hand. If all you feel is the stick, then you need to taste the soft and the sweet. If all you feel is the soft and the sweet, the stick is coming. (laughs) Okay, that's how it works. If he's picked, he may not ripen. In other words, if he gets stuck there, he may not ripen. If he gets stuck in the place where he's not soft and sweet, he's just teaching, 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 and he's not developing, then he may, he may not ripen. That's a danger. Ever look for something where it should be and get upset when it's not there and then instantly blame someone else? Yeah. How ridiculous we are. This work is so much bigger than our petty problems and absurd sense of scale. This work is so much better, bigger than getting upset because someone said something to us that wounded our self-love. Oh, boo-hoo, my precious self-love was wounded. Oh, boo-hoo, you don't think I'm as wonderful as I think I am. Oh, boo-hoo, you saw my wart. Oh, boo-hoo, you don't like me. Oh, boo-hoo, you found out that I have unpleasant manifestations. Oh, boo-hoo, poor me, you horrible person. See, that's so small, so petty, so little, because we have tiny being. And why do we have tiny being? Well, there's, no, there's nothing left. You know, it's like being is like a room. And you are in that room, as I told you yesterday. And the bigger your false personality is, the bigger your body is in that room. And the bigger your body is in that room, the smaller that room is in scale. So your false personality needs to become less so that room, your being, can become bigger. We don't need to expand our being. What we need to do is shrink our false personality. It's the tumor that's taking up the space in the room. Remove that. And you'll be, you'll be in a very spacious place. You will find that in scale, your being has automatically just gone infinite. It's just wham. You get rid of the false personality and you will fall into the infinite. That's what you're afraid of too. So I won't touch on that too much because you'll run the other way screaming like your hair was on fire, which we don't want. Maurice Nicole said, notice where you lose your temper or get negative because that means you've come to the end of your being. What it means is that your false personality is such a bloated, piggish thing that it has absorbed the whole room of your being. And your essential self has no room to breathe. It has no room to move. It's just that false personality, that big bloated thing that is offended by everything, every slight, every negative thing, anything at all. The weather changes, you don't get your way, you break your shoelace, you can't find something, somebody says something to you, and you fly into this negative sea of insanity and hatred and violence. Oh, and you're very clever because you keep it all under the surface, you think. But the world sees you and it knows. And that's what's got to go. 
The ability to endure the unpleasant manifestations of others and ourselves shows the quality and the extent of our being. What that really means is it shows that the false personality is shrinking and there's some room in the room. The less you can stand, the smaller your being. The more you can stand, the larger your being because the more room you have, the more space you have. Do you see that? Do you see that if a little thing bothers you, it's because it's right up against you. Just this little pebble in your shoe, it's like right up against you. And it's annoying. If you're standing on a cushion and there's a little pebble there, it's no big deal, is it? Because you have space between you and the pebble. It doesn't bother you. And that's what this is. As your being grows, as your false personality shrinks and your being is allowed to be, then things don't annoy you so much. But it's like when life is right there pressing up against yourself, when, when life is pressing right up against your false personality, everything annoys you. Everything drives you crazy. Everything makes you react. Do you see that? You see people like that? Those are people who are run by false personality. They're just run by it. They're run by imaginary eye. It owns them. They are that. They can't find anything else. They're stuck in it. They're asleep. That's us. As we are, we hate to be wrong. We can't think there's anything wrong with us specifically. In general, you know that there are things wrong with you, but you don't know what they are. It's all diffused and blurry like when you take your glasses off, if you wear glasses. You take your glasses off and it's like, I look at the page without my reading glasses and I say, yes, I know these are letters, I know these are words, and I can make out some of them. But fortunately, I can't make out all of them because it's all about me and it's saying all these things about me, but I can't see them. But you put the glasses on, it's like, oh, it says we're hindered by our tiny being and limited attitudes, what we take for granted, how we feel owed. And it makes us tedious, difficult people. Oh, that's about me. Oh, I think I'll take the glasses off now, <laughs> you see? And that's it. But when you become committed to this, you want to keep the glasses on, the glasses of the work that show you yourself. You want the reading glasses on. You want the magnifying glass. You want to start seeing in detail because it frees you. You start to see the freedom in it. Yes, there's pain in it, but there's freedom in it as well. So as you genuinely observe yourself, things change. As we grow consciousness, we become less sensitive to criticism from others. We've seen for ourselves what's in there. It makes us less critical of them. You see a person who gets so annoyed at the drop of a hat, even if he has to drop the hat or she has to drop the hat, that's a person who is not observing themselves. They're observing everything out there instead, and they're judging it. Rather than turning that inside and observing themselves, they're observing other people and judging them and being critical. And so they react negatively. As you genuinely observe yourself, you will become aware that you are the problem. In the moment of acceptance that you are the problem, in that very moment, you will begin to be transformed by a power greater than yourself. You must serve something in this life. You must serve something. You'll either serve life, which doesn't really care about you, or you'll serve something higher, something greater, which will lift you up out of this sea of negative madness and insanity that this world is. The only way to serve something higher is to practice these esoteric and universal principles in your daily life. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.